You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. Turning your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So we've got uh, one more week uh, in these two letters next week, and then we're going to uh, be focusing on Psalm 10 on uh, the Freedom Sunday. And then the week after that, we're going to still focus on uh, the ministry of justice in the world in Isaiah 58. I hope to have another sermon schedule out for you this week that's going to take us actually into the new year. So uh, just keep looking for that. And uh, today we're going to take a look at really a difficult passage. Um, You know, Oftentimes, when I'm preparing each week, I, I look at the passages I've been looking for for weeks. Uh, weeks ago, I've been looking ahead and preparing. And then there are weeks where we come into sets of passages. There's, there's just no way uh, to do justice to the, the depth of what Paul is going to talk about in chapter 2. So uh, there's, there's, you're probably going to leave with uh, maybe more questions than I get to answer this morning, but that's okay. Uh, that's where your own personal study time comes to bear on what you've heard this morning. But uh, what Paul's going to open up in chapter 2 uh, has a lot of tentacles through Scripture. We're going to try to to do the best we can with uh, the time we've got. Uh, there is a an organization called the Oxford Dictionary. Now, of course, you know where the Webster's Dictionary is. It's where you go to, to figure out the definition of a word. But there's a group called the Oxford Dictionary uh, Society, and and, of course, they're constantly updating dictionaries and constantly updating as new words come along. Well, in each year they have that their uh, word of the year. And in 2016, the word of the year for this group of scholars who's always trying to give us new words and the definitions, their word of the year was post-truth. Now, that particular phrase uh, has a lot of uh, connotation connected to it. This is how they defined it. Post-truth, objective facts are not as important in shaping public opinion as appeals to emotion and personal belief. That's what post-truth is defined as. Now, you're hearing it described in a whole different way uh, each and every week as you watch the news and read it on the Internet. You hear it called something totally different. You You hear it called fake news. I mean, every single day somebody is talking about or presenting fake news. Now, that's a fairly new term, fake news, that is. Post-truth is kind of a new term. As though we are now in a society and live in a society in which truth no longer matters, only how you feel about what's being presented and what kind of response they can get out of you emotionally or otherwise. So what's the whole point? of fake news and post-truth. Well, the whole point of it is is to get a response out of you, whether that be financial, whether that be emotional, whether that be some kind of, of response that, 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 that the news media or someone else is trying to get from you. That is the goal. And they will absolutely, positively mislead you because we live in an age now where truth doesn't matter as much as how you feel. And of course, no other time or one of the many times or top 10 or top three times where the news is just overwhelmed with a lot of false reporting 
is when a tropical storm turns into a hurricane anywhere in the Pacific or the Atlantic and starts heading towards America or any other landmass. This week, this week and really the last two weeks, I would imagine you've been inundated with a lot of news. Uh, maybe you've been tuned into the news more in the last 10 or 12 days than you've been in a while just because you kind of want to know where this thing's going, how it's going to turn out, how strong is it. And more than likely, you heard a lot of different reports, and those reports were contradicting one another almost constantly. Here, here we are. We're, we're flying planes into a hurricane, getting all the pressure readings and the strength readings and all this stuff. Those are, those are objectable facts. Those are facts that are, that are coming in, and based off of models that have been studied down through the many years of hurricane study, to this day, they still cannot tell us with any definitive notion of what a hurricane is going to do and where it's going to come upon land. But yet, that doesn't stop. The 24 hours a day, constant reporting, oftentimes, which is just meant to sell you a product. you got to understand that a lot of these 24-hour news agencies, their whole goal is to sell you product. Well, how do they sell you product? To keep you watching so that you watch the advertisements so that they influence you. So they will absolutely stay on the air for hours and hours on end when there's nothing to report because they don't know anything, but they'll certainly fill in the blanks wherever they need to. I got a good example of this. Uh, during Hurricane Florence, there was a, a weather report. Uh, he was a, a guy that was out in Wilmington, and you may have seen this video. I think it's just hilarious. Uh, just to kind of give us an idea of just how willing people are to mislead us, especially if they're wanting to sell product or get a response from us. So this gentleman is standing out on a street corner in, uh, in Wilmington as Hurricane Florence is coming ashore. And I want you to watch how the weatherman is responding to the weather at that particular moment. Then I want you to watch what's going on in the background. Yeah, he's selling some product. Uh, he, he's wanting us to believe that the winds are so strong that he can barely stand up, and yet two teenagers, I think one of them actually had his phone out, walks by in the background like they're walking to get ice cream at the local ice cream shop. But you know, fake news and misleading people for the purpose of getting a response is not new. It's not new at all. And we know it by fake news, but it's not new. As a matter of fact, there's really nothing new under the sun when we talk about misleading people and the brokenness that is in our world, and, and the response that people try to get out of another group of people for their own purposes and their own reasoning. Paul had to deal with it. As a matter of fact, that's why he wrote this second letter, was because of fake news. You see, someone in the church at Thessalonica was misrepresenting what Paul had said to them, even going so far as to write a letter to this church claiming that it was from Paul. We don't have that letter. We, we have no evidence of it, but Paul mentions it twice in this second letter, saying that there was a letter sent to this church that seems to have claimed that it was coming from Paul, and yet that letter was contradicting what Paul had wrote in the first letter that we've already been through, specifically concerning the end times, last days, and that the church had missed the second coming of the Lord. And now all they had to look forward to 
was the judgment of God. And you have to understand that, that the people of the Thessalonican church were under such persecution already. I mean, this church was being persecuted heavily. We saw that last week. And, and for, for nothing more than them putting their faith in Jesus and telling other people about Jesus, the community around them hated this church. And of course, we know that those people who were motivated to hate this church and to persecute this church was motivated none other than Satan and the demons of darkness because this church is being so effective with the gospel. Now, you can imagine that this church that was being persecuted to such a degree, their afflictions and their persecution and the hatred that they were experiencing, they read this false letter that comes from a false teacher, and we don't know who that is. And they read there, maybe, that, that they're in the tribulation time. They are in the judgment of God. And they're imagining, how in the world are we going to be able to make it through this judgment? How in the world did we miss the coming of Christ when we've been faithful and done everything that Paul told us to do? And not only that, if the tribulation time is going to be so much worse than what they were experiencing, how in the world are they going to be able to face this? It's kind of like a group of people who went through two hurricanes, lost everything, only to find out that the worst hadn't even happened yet, and they were going to have to go through it. And Paul hears about this while he's in Corinth. And that's why he writes this second letter. Notice what happens of chapter 2, verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together in Him. Now remember, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and following, that there was going to be a gathering together of all those who had died in Christ and all those who remained on earth at the time when the trumpet would call and that archangel voice would, would, would split our skies and split the eastern sky, that Jesus Christ would come down into the clouds, he would call out the dead in Christ, and those that would remain that were alive at that particular moment would follow those and meet Jesus in the clouds. Paul says now concerning this time, concerning what's going to happen after that, and that's what the church was focused on because they had been misled. They'd been misled. Paul says, in our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So Paul says to the church, listen, I understand that a letter's been written and my name has been assigned to it. Someone has plagiarized Paul for the purpose of misleading this church. Now we don't know exactly the reasons why this false teacher would have done this, we can, we, can, we can assume or understand that the broken nature of humanity would be that, that this man wanted to take control, leadership. He wanted to influence the church. He wanted Paul to kind of disappear in the corridors of history. And this particular person wanted to set the stage for his own teaching and for his own purposes. We don't know exactly why. We just know that Paul has to quickly address it. Because when he left them in the first letter, he left them in a place of hope that Jesus, in fact, has not returned, that Jesus, in fact, is still going to come, and that we're not looking towards a tribulation. We're not looking towards judgment because we as God's people are not condemned. We are not going to be judged. We are going to be saved and protected and with our King. So the hope that Paul had instilled in the first letter was being eroded away by a false teacher by the time they get the second letter. You would imagine that the people's fear had overtaken them. That their hopelessness 
had come back to the forefront. The very thing that Paul wanted to address in the first letter has now come back to the forefront and that now they've begun to feel hopeless once again because the relieving that Paul has now written a letter and changed his theology and doctrine. All the while, a false teacher is misleading them. Paul is going to warn this church that in fact, a false teacher is misleading them. But not only that, for those who do not put their faith in Jesus Christ, the worst is yet to come. With all that we've experienced here in our community, and you look at what's going on in the Bahamas right now, if you've, saw, if you've seen any of the video, you've seen any of the pictures, you've seen any of the news reports, your heart breaks for those people. Uh, people who are deeply, were deeply po impoverished. When we think of Bahamas, we think of resorts. Don't think of the resorts. That's only a small percentage of the island. The majority of that island is very, very poor. And what little they had is now gone. And you think about the destruction there of a Category 4 storm and, and the damage that it ensued upon that island, and you think, how could it be any worse? How could it get any worse? Well, folks, don't be the, won't be the bearer of bad news, and this is only bad news for those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus. Okay, It's very bad news for you. If you put your faith in Jesus, there's nothing but good news. And the good news is, is that Jesus is going to come and he's going to take us home. If we do not go by the grave, we are going to go by that moment when we hear the archangel and the trumpet and we're leaving this place. So if you are a born-again believer, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, listen, there's nothing but good news ahead for you. But listen, if you're lost this morning, it's going to get worse. It's going to get far worse if you put off putting your faith in Jesus. But here's a question I want to entertain. Why has it not gotten worse already? I mean, if you look, if you look at history, there have been some terrible moments in world history. There have been some moments where sin and evil was running rampant across the world under some leader and people were dying everywhere. And you look at history and you think, why in the world is the world not in a worse shape than it is? Is there something that is preventing the world from just going off the cliff into evil? I mean, you think about what's going on in social media. You think about what's happening in our own country. You think about all the shootings. You think about all the violence. You think about all that we're going to look at on September 22nd leading up to that of what's going in the world for slavery and cyber sex trafficking. You think of all the issues and you have to wonder, it's bad. Why is it not a lot worse? Paul's going to address that. Take a, note of, take a look at what Paul has to say here. He says that they are not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit, a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us. Paul says that there is an active engagement to mislead the church by an individual or maybe a group of individuals. And notice how they're misleading the church. He says by spirit. Spirit. Paul lets the church know that this is a spiritual battle. Every single church, does not matter the denomination, every single church that takes a stand upon God's Word as truth, does not compromise, seeks to know what God's Word says, and then the church as a whole seeks to place itself under the authority of God's Word, every church that makes that choice will be under attack. And folks, you've got to understand it's a spiritual battle. Paul says, by spirit or spoken word, there are false teachers all across the globe. And they are saying, thus says the word of God, when in fact God's word doesn't say that at all. 
you don't have to look far. You don't have to look any further than your TV or YouTube. You don't have to look any further than Googling a simple question about maybe what you have about the Bible. And you go to Google and you type that in. And all of a sudden, all these things come up, video after video after video, of false teachers teaching something completely contradictory to God's Word. Or a letter. My goodness, I'm not on Facebook a lot. That's my design. I just I don't have the time for it. Uh, my wife helps me keep up with, with things your guys are posting, so I know if you've got something going on in your family, I can make a connection with you, but I'm not on there much. But when I am on there, here's what I notice. I can't, I, it blows my mind of how much false doctrine and teaching there is put on Facebook as truth. And what even bothers me even more is when God's people take that false teaching and share it to all of their friends without even asking the question, is this true? When in fact, it's not. Paul says to this church, listen, there's a spirit that's trying to mislead you, the forces of darkness. There is the spoken word. There are teachers audibly speaking that which is contradictory to the God's word. And there are people writing plenty of things that are completely contradictory to what God's word says. Let's move on. He says here, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come. Notice this. Put your, put your magnifying glass on verse 3 because you need to see this. This is what he's going to say to the church at Thessalonica. He says, let no one deceive you, whether it be by a letter, by a spirit, or by spoken word, that that day, what day is he talking about? The return of Jesus Christ upon this earth and the judgment that is going to come right before he returns. So Paul is very, very clear here. He's not going to argue with the false teacher. He's not going to get into whatever that person said. Paul is simply going to take the church back to the truth. And this is what he says. He says, that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Now, Paul begins to lay out What's going to happen after the church is taken out? Now, you've got to understand this. Paul is not talking about what the church is going to endure. He's talking about what's going to happen after the church and those who put their faith in Jesus are removed through what we discussed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those which will remain will be called up then. Then these events are going to be played out. Notice what he says. He says the rebellion will come first. That word rebellion means apostasy. Now, oftentimes when we think about apostasy, we think about someone leaving the church, someone walking away from their faith, someone who, who denies that Christ is king and that salvation is possible. Just had a couple of well-known writers, pastors, one was a singing artist in, in contemporary Christian music. Another one was a, an artist or a guy who wrote a book many years ago. The name of the book was I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It was really popular in the late 90s. And he just recently came out and said that he denies his faith. He's walked away. Now, I would offer to you that he, he never had salvation to start with. Okay. The Bible tells us clearly over and over again that when you put your faith in Jesus, He transforms you and adopts you into His family. You are then owned by Him and you are going to follow Christ. You're going to endure. For those who are false teachers, make sure you understand that time will certainly show you who they really are. And for this individual, he, we, we would consider him someone who's apostatized. But what Paul's talking about here is there's not only going to be a, a walking away, a denial 
of the faith in large groves. I'm talking about people from all walks of life are going to give completely up on their religion of choice. Now remember, the church has already been taken out at this point. And when the church disappears, the light to the world, you've got to understand that, that we are the light in this world. You are. You have been transformed by the gospel, by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are light in a dark world. Now imagine for a moment when all of that light is taken out of the world. What's going to be left? Absolute, utter darkness. People are going to walk away from their false religions. They're going to drop them all. They're not going to care anymore. The Bible says here that the rebellion must come first. Not only will they rebel against their religions, their false religions, but they will rebel against law itself. Are we not already seeing that, by the way? Are we not already living in a culture where the law doesn't matter at all? That if you have enough money and enough influence, that you can get out of just about anything. But the law is not held in high regard. Paul says this rebellion, it will be a time of sin and evil unbridled like any, nothing in the world has ever seen. As a matter of fact, as bad as history has been, there has never been a time that will be as bad as the time that Paul describes here. When you weigh next to it what Daniel has to say, what Jesus had to say, what John has to say in the Revelation, you get a picture of incredible evil, incredible uh, disobedience, incredible hatred. Why? Because there's no light in the world. And when light is removed, darkness fills in all those crevices. Paul says that the rebellion must come first, and then the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Again, church has been taken out. When the light of the world has been taken out of the world, darkness fills in, and, and when that darkness fills in and rebellion begins to grow and people begin to, to hate, there's going to be a leader that comes to the forefront. There have been multiple, multiple attempts down through history to identify this particular person. For, for, for a long time, people thought that Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. That's how we know him. If you're, if you're new to Scripture, if you're new to the faith, some of the words I'm going to use this morning I need to define for you. There's going to come a leader in the future. And this leader is going to be empowered by Satan. The Bible calls him an Antichrist. So whatever you, whatever you think about Jesus, whatever you know about him, his love, His grace, His mercy, His justice, His perfection, His holiness. Take that and pervert it and you have the Antichrist. Everything that we know about Jesus, think of the exact opposite and you've got the Antichrist. He's going to be a leader empowered by Satan. I would dare say to you that He's going to be Satan incarnate. Satan with flesh on. That's how bad He's going to be. But see, He's going to come forward not as an evil man. He's going to come forward as a great leader that has all the answers. And the Bible tells us that the world is going to flock to him. There have been attempts all down through the years to identify him. But right here, Paul tells us clearly that the church is going to be taken out first. Then rebellion is going to increase. And then the stage is going to be set for this false leader. Turn back to Daniel chapter 11. I want, to, I want you to see something very important how that the writers of Scripture who talk about this man are consistent throughout, even though there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that separate their writings. 
all the way back to Daniel chapter 11. Now, if you know anything about the book of Daniel, you know that the first six chapters of the book of Daniel is narrative, where Daniel's talking about those great stories that we learned in vacation Bible school and Sunday school. But then in chapter 7, there's a, a significant shift in Daniel's writing, and Daniel begins to talk about future events. In chapter 11, Daniel gives some insight into this soon, this king who will arrive on the world stage after the church has been taken out. Daniel chapter 11, verse 36. And the king, and this king he's referring to is the Antichrist, shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. Now pause for that for just a moment. If there's a, a great rebellion and there's a great apostasy where all of these people are walking away from all their false religions, the stage is set for darkness to spread. And guess what else the stage is set for? A brand new religion with a brand new leader. He's going to exalt himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. In other words, Jehovah God. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. Go back to 2 Thessalonians. What I want you to see is, is there is a complete connection between what Paul is saying to the church at Thessalonica hundreds of years later after Daniel wrote that prediction, and they fit together perfectly. Notice what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica. Now remember, Paul is offering evidence for why these people have not missed Jesus' return. He says, let no one deceive you. The rebellion will come first, then the mantle of lawlessness is revealed. He's called the son of destruction, and notice this, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. Daniel said exactly the same thing hundreds of years previously. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, there is no one on the landscape at the time of this church's existence that fits this description. There is no one on the, on the stage of history at the point of the church at Thessalonica that even comes close. Were there horrible leaders? Were there people who were, who were destroying the lives of other people? Absolutely. Were there horrible kings? Yes. But nothing to the degree of what this man of lawlessness will be. Notice Paul describes him as a lawless man. He cares nothing about the law. He cares nothing about the sanctity of human life. He cares nothing about justice. He cares nothing about mercy. He cares nothing about grace. As far opposite of Jesus Christ as you could possibly get is who Paul is describing. And he says to the church at Thessalonica, there is nobody who fits this description. No one. He says, who exalts himself and opposes every so-called God. Now notice this. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Jesus says exactly the same thing in Mark chapter 13, verse 15. This is what Jesus said when he was talking. He was asked about from the disciples. He was asked, how can we know when everything's getting in? How can we know when the temple's going to be destroyed? So they were asking some of the same questions the church at Thessalonica was asking. And, and Jesus says to them, there will be a day when he described it as the abomination of desolation. And that's a, a big phrase that basically means this. That there's going to be a day when the temple of God 
was going to be defiled in such a way that nothing like it had ever been seen. Nothing like it to the degree of what was going to happen under this Antichrist. As a matter of fact, 200 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there was a world leader. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. You can look him up. He was 200 years prior to Christ. He goes into the temple, the Jewish temple. He sets up an altar to Zeus, a false god, and he slaughters a pig on the altar inside the Jewish temple. Heinous, incredibly incredibly heinous towards the Jews, but also dishonoring to the one true God, Jehovah. And that was a terrible event. But what's going to happen in the future with this guy that Paul is describing is going to be so much worse. And as a matter of fact, a lot of theologians believe that this Antichrist is going to go into the temple. Now we have to ask the question, what temple? Now in the church at Thessalonica, there was still a temple standing. The first, first and second Thessalonians was written somewhere right around 55. A.D. The temple wasn't destroyed until 70 A.D. So there's still a temple. So Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, imagine somebody walking into the temple and desecrating it. Well, there is no temple today. The temple's been destroyed and has not been rebuilt. Seems to indicate that there's going to be a temple at some point. Paul says, there is no one on the world stage during the church at Thessalonica's days that even comes close to this. Down through time, Daniel, Jesus, Paul, and I want to show you one other writer. Go over to 1 John. I want to show you what 1 John has to say. I told you I wouldn't be able to get all this out today. I'm going to give you some scripture that you can continue to study. Go to 1 John chapter 2. So the world is going to get astronomically worse. Sin is going to flourish. Evil is going to flourish, and it's going to flourish under a leader and the Bible refers to him as the man of perdition, the son of lawlessness, the Antichrist himself. But I want you to see what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. John says, you go back to 2 Thessalonians. John says, yes, an Antichrist is coming. Yes, it's going to bring in destruction into the world, anything like the world has ever seen. But all these other ones who've come forward, Antiochus Epiphanes, if in our culture looking back, who can we identify as, as people who were evil to the core? Well, we, we would have to consider that Adolf Hitler was evil to the core. 17 million people. We would have to consider that Chairman Mao Zedong of China 50s, 60s, killed 25, 30, some say as high as 50 million people. Joseph Stalin killed millions of people. When you put them all three together, when you put those three together, you know what you get? A hundred million plus people who died. And when we look at their reigns and we look at what they were doing, they were misleading people. They were lying to people. And, and what's amazing to me is even through the death and destruction that was obvious for everyone to see, people were still bowing at their feet. And as horrible as the leadership of those three individuals were, all three of them put together will not even come close to what this guy's going to do when he comes on the stage.
it's going to be evil to a level that none, no one has ever seen. And when you begin to look at all of it together, you know what you find? People falling at his feet. In the midst of the destruction, in the midst of the evil, in the middle of it, when it's obvious for everyone to see, people are still going to be worshiping him and honoring him and believing that he's God. Lost person, you, 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 need, to, you need to understand that when you look at the whole counsel of God's word, your future is not very bright. What you keep putting off, putting your faith in Jesus, what you keep putting off is putting you in a very dangerous situation. Because if today that trumpet blows, and if today I hear that archangel, if today this church body disappears and you're left behind, it's going to get astronomically worse. And what's even, what's even more concerning is, is when this leader comes on the stage and he declares himself as God, you are going to fall in lockstep believing that he's God when in fact he's Satan incarnate. And that's exactly what Satan has on the agenda. You can imagine that this fits in perfectly with what Satan has always wanted. This is exactly why Satan got kicked out of heaven. If you remember, Satan was an angel created by God, but he tried to rebel and he tried to kick God off the throne. And you know what happened to him? He was kicked back to earth. And ever since that time, he's been seeking worship, just like God receives worship. And one day, he's going to empower a man, and this man is going to go into the temple, and he's going to declare himself God, exactly what Satan would love to have happen, that Satan is being worshipped, that Satan is being honored. And lost friend, I'm telling you, I'm warning you, I'm cautioning you, and I'm begging you to consider the gospel of Jesus Christ because you're toying around with your eternity, whether you go by the grave or whether you go out of this world under the leadership of an evil, evil man, you are toying around with your eternity, and eternity is a long time. Paul says here, verse 5, Do you not remember that when I was still with you that I told you these things? Paul had already told the church this in person when he planted this church. And he's having to remind them again. Notice what he says next. And you know what is restraining him now. If you underline in your Bible, you're going to see this word, restrain, restraining. So the question is, if, if all of this evil is going to happen, and we already see this evil being played out in the world today, we see lawlessness, we see disobedience, we see hatred, we see all of that on the world stage today, then why in the world has it not gotten worse? Why in the world is things not escalated to this point? Well, I'll tell you why. There's restraint. There's restraint. Where is this restraint coming from? Notice what he says here. He says here, and you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Paul admits to the church at Thessalonica, this church is being persecuted. He says to that church, listen, you, you already know that lawlessness is already alive and well. Darkness is not hard to find in a broken, lost world. So, so Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, listen, I understand the persecution. Paul says, I'm being persecuted as well. Everywhere Paul goes, he gets run out of town. He gets beaten. He says that lawlessness is already alive and well, but there's something restraining the evil. It's not as bad as it could be. That, that God is 
purposely restraining. But I want you to understand that there is a, a, a being, a person, who is restraining the evil. He says, and you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of the laws is, is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. In the Greek language behind your English translation, this person, and it is a person, who is restraining evil is described in a masculine gender. So who can we say? Well, of course we can say, well, God is restraining, and that would be true. But I think there's something more specific here that Paul's communicating to this church. You see, I believe it's the Holy Spirit's job to restrain evil. And where does the Holy Spirit dwell? He dwells in the hearts and the lives of those who've been reborn, justified, adopted into God's kingdom. You see, living inside of me is one part of the Godhead Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in me. It's what allows me to be light to a dark world. It's that light that is shining through me that points people to Jesus Christ. Do I always let that light shine? Not always. <laughs> Not always. But that light is there, and that light indwells you as a follower of Christ. But when Jesus takes the church out of the world, the Holy Spirit that indwells the church, that guides the church, that illuminates the path for the church to walk. Guess what happens when the church is taken out? The Holy Spirit goes with the church, and what is left in this world is no restraint. That's why evil is going to flourish. That's why the world's going to go off the cliff. That's why it's going to get astronomically worse. That's why, because the restrainer is going to be removed, but only in God's time. The Holy Spirit, if you read Scripture, you'll find out has a lot of roles in our life. He, he brings conviction into my life when I do my own thing. It's that, it's that voice, that still small voice in, in my head and in my heart that says, you're not doing what I've asked you to do. You're being disobedient. And if I continue in that path, the Holy Spirit continues to grip my heart and He continues to bring correction into my life. The Holy Spirit also, when I'm reading God's Word, helps me to understand it. The Holy Spirit is the one who, when I, when I came to faith in Christ, it sealed, in other words, made reality my new life in Christ. The Holy Spirit living in me. But the Holy Spirit also has the role of restraining evil in the world. Why is it that we're not having a complete breakdown of society. Why has it not happened yet? You see the trend, do you not? Why has it not happened? Because God is not allowing it to happen. And the reason He's not allowing it to happen is because He is in complete and full control. You know, the, the, old, uh, the old idea when you see a hurricane lash a country like the Bahamas, the question that I hear often is, and even from people who say they're Christians, where's God in all this? I mean, where, where was God? Why didn't He turn this out into the ocean? Why didn't He spare all those people? Now, I don't believe that I, I don't know that I have every answer for every question, but I know this, that God is good. I know that God is in control. I know that things could be astronomically worse because if it wasn't for God restraining the evil, we'd be in a serious, serious shape. You see, I'm not looking, I am not looking for an antichrist. I'm not trying to identify him. I'm not trying to figure out who he is. You know why I'm not? Because I'm not going to be here when he comes. I'm not trying to figure out who it is. Uh, you know, when I, was, when I was growing up, I heard that uh, Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. There was a book written about it. I don't have it. 
And the, and the best evidence they had was because his name was Ronald Wilson Reagan, I think. Six, 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 six letters in each three parts of his name. That, that was the evidence. Yeah, that's pretty weak evidence, isn't it? And then, of course, I heard it again with Obama. I've heard it with just about every president that's lived since I've been alive, right? You'll hear it again. I'm not looking for an antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus. I'm listening for a trumpet. I'm not going to be here when this all goes down. When this mess blows up, let me tell you where I'm going to be. I'm going to be with Jesus Christ in heaven with a glorified body and all of this mess here, no, that's in my rearview mirror. I don't even think about it anymore because I'm going to be consumed with the presence of God Almighty in His perfect kingdom. I'm not looking for an antichrist. I feel sorry for those who are. There are lots of people who believe the church is going to go through this tribulation period. I'm sorry, I don't share your viewpoint. We can disagree on that. That's okay. I'm good with that. But I'm not looking for an antichrist. I'm not trying to identify him. I don't read books that try to figure out who he is. The reason is, is I'm looking for my king, the one who redeemed me and, and changed my life. I'm looking for him. And whether I go by the grave or whether I go by the rapture, it's all good. Because my home is established. Paul says that as the Antichrist continues his influence, notice what it's going to look like. He says here, verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. Hold that right there. I'm going to come back to that. And bring nothing to by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and all thought signs and all wonders, with wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse the truth. You see, the people who are suffering under this evil that's going to run rampant, they're there because of a choice. Listen, God is not putting them through judgment because they're good people and God's just being mean. No, these folks chose to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ and then after the light is taken out of the world, they will absolutely run towards evil with a full steam ahead. No, they're being judged because of the choices that they've made. But before you think that sin is going to have the last say, before you believe that, that, that this thing's just going to turn and go off the cliff and just going to remain off the cliff, notice what Paul says. Paul says, right in the middle of all of this bad news, he says, the Lord Jesus will kill the Antichrist with the word of his mouth. We find that in Revelation 19. When Jesus does come in the second coming, and he comes and he sets foot on this earth, after all of the many years of judgment that God has poured out, the Antichrist is going to get in the face of my Lord and my King. Because remember, he believes he's a God. He, he believes he's in control. Being empowered by Satan, he believes he's in charge, right? People are worshiping him. People are honoring him. And he's going to get in the face of my King. He's going to get in the face of my Savior. And you know what my Savior's going to do? He's going to speak one word, and the man's going to be destroyed in a split second. Won't even have to raise his hand. Gone. And the Bible tells us that God is going to purge this earth of all the judgment and the sin and the evil. And who's going to have the final word? My King, my Savior, the Godhead Trinity. They will have the final say. 
You see, there's a dividing line, as I told you last week. There are those who are part of the kingdom, those who are not. If you are not, you will stand in judgment. Whether you face that judgment by death or whether the G- where my Jesus comes back today, you will face judgment if you don't put your faith in Christ. Church, we're not looking. We're not looking for an antichrist. We're not trying to figure him out. We're looking for a king who's going to come and reign forever. Father in heaven, there is so much more that needs to be said here. So Father, I'm going to leave that to you through the Holy Spirit and through your word that is perfect to continue saying what needs to be said. Father, we know that you're in perfect, complete control of everything that's going on in our universe right now. There is not a single second of time that has ever went by in all of time and history that you weren't in complete and utter sovereign control. So Father, as we look around and we see those making great claims, telling big lies, misleading entire populations of people, we recognize what John said. John said that as we see these things, we know that the time is getting very, very close. So we don't have any time to waste. None at all. So let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day. Let today be the day that the one who's been far from you is restored through grace and mercy, through their faith and repentance. Let today be that day. We ask all this in Christ's name. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist. 